is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worm, so take heed, for I am Alzaman, heart of the dark, the creator of this miserable content. Gleeman Tom has read the series cover to cover, book to book, and will be talking about anything and everything concerning the series. So, if you have not yet finished this series, well, who's to blame, listener? Not I, who spoiled the series for themselves. Not I. Blood and bloody ashes. It has been nearly two weeks. Since my last posting, I am so sorry, guys. Welcome back to Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. Oh, man. You know, uh, when I recorded my last podcast, I made a little slip. I'll be honest. I was making a stupid joke, and I said a name that I shouldn't have said, and it got a little weird. Okay, the room got dark, and I heard this just deep, terrifying voice. We all knew who it was, and uh, then it ended, and I apologized, and I thought everything was good. I finished my podcast, and then the night came, and, uh, well... There was this horrible screeching sound, and it seemed like the fabric of reality itself was tearing, and a bore into darkness appeared, and the next thing I know, I was being yanked out of bed, I was having a good sleep, and I was in Sheogul. It was miserable, guys. It was miserable. I was constantly on the run, hiding in crevices. I'm, like, shocked that the Dark One's minions didn't find me. Apparently, he wanted to turn me to the shadow. It doesn't make any sense to me either, but whatever. Uh, and it took a while to get home. Luckily, that tear in reality never went away because I was able to jump through it right back into my room. Uh, it took a while. It was terrifying. It was an utterly horrifying experience and I hated every second of it. And then I get back and I'm like, well, I've been gone a while. Better post a new podcast. And then what happens? A tornado warning here in eastern Colorado. Can you believe that? It started at 3.30ish and then... Uh, we got another one at 4.30ish, and we got another one going to 5, and the alarms in town, legitimately, the blaring sirens in town finally ended, and I'm like, you know what, I better post now, it, it was, it was ridiculous, you know, I actually, uh, didn't notice, like, like, I, I lost hope in humanity, because, you know, I, I, I don't have a real luster for life, okay, so when I heard tornado warning, I went out on the porch and smoked a cigarette and looked out at the sky, alright? But I wasn't the only one out there. Like, every third house had a person outside looking up at the sky, having their camera out. And none of those little wusses went inside until it started raining. I stayed out there. Um, <laughs> then it turned out we were looking around the house and one of the dogs went missing. And uh, we kept looking around outside, and then finally, we see 
Johnny, this little tiny jerk chihuahua, halfway down the block, and I had to walk about a block and a half in the rain during a thunderstorm during a tornado warning with the town siren blaring to get the damn soaking wet dog. I mean, I just wanted to post a little earlier. Why does all this shit have to happen to me? Huh? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I just, just trust me, guys. Never, never name the dark one, okay? Life is crazy right now. It's, 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 it's utterly ridiculous. I, I, I don't, I don't honestly, oh my God, it was horrible. Oh, God. <laughs> last time on the Eye of the World, now that we're past all that bullshit, last time on the Eye of the World, uh, Matt, Rand, and Perrin were getting a little bit, uh, not... Worrying about the Trollocs and the Murdral and the Dark One. Matt's like, let's go to, let's go to Ilion. Ilion's not where there's a bunch of Aes Sedai. It's great. Let's go there. And Moraine's like, I'll kill you all if the Dark One gets you. And they were, they were, they were a little bit, you know, upset at that, mo <laughs> that notion. <laughs> uh, so they finally make it to Barillon. And we talked to some gatekeeper dude. I don't remember his name, but he was actually quite amusing. I didn't like him in the beginning when he was a little bit of an asshole. But by the time, you know, he was being all nice to Moraine and Lan, he was he was fine. He was actually pretty endearing. And then we get to the stag and lion for Master Fitch. And that's when the chapter ended and leads into this one. I don't think I told you guys. Welcome back to the Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. Today, we're covering chapter 14, The Stag and Lion. Now, I actually really kind of like this chapter. We're getting into that whole scenario of going to a new inn, meeting a new innkeeper, deciding if they're evil or not, depending on how girthy they are. <laughs> Anyways, this is a fun chapter. Uh, so let's get into the chapter breakdown before another tornado warning shows up. This is ridiculous. You know, yesterday there was like eight tornadoes touching down, uh, in the Denver area. We didn't get anything here where I live now, but like it was so bad that the planes couldn't even take off or land. And then today we get a bunch of tornado warnings. So why don't we just, why don't we just jump into that chapter breakdown before we're interrupted again, okay? Before, like, a realistic tornado comes again, or before I get pulled into Shale Ghoul again for naming someone I should have never named. Yeah, let's do that now. Fool, I have never been bound. I stood at Lewis Theron Kinslayer's shoulder when he did the deed that named him. It was I who told him to kill his wife and his children, and all his blood, and every living person who loved him, or whom he loved. It was I who gave him the moment of sanity to know what he had done. Have you ever heard a man scream his soul away? Worm! He could have struck at me then. He could not have won, but he could have tried. Instead, he called down his precious one power upon himself. So much so that the earth split open and reared up Dragonmount to mock his tomb. A thousand years later, I sent the Trollocs ravening south. And for three centuries they savaged the world. 
those blind fools in Tarvalin said I was beaten in the end. But the Second Covenant, the Covenant of the Ten Nations, was shattered beyond remaking. And who was left to oppose me then? I whispered in Arta Hawkwing's ear, and the length and the breadth of the land, I said I died. I whispered again, and the High King sent his armies across the Arth Ocean, across the World Sea, and sealed two dooms. The doom of his dream of one land, and one people, and his doom yet to come. At his deathbed, I was there when his counselors told him only an I said I could save his life. I spoke, and he ordered his counselors to the stake. I spoke. And the High King's last words were to cry that Tarvalin must be destroyed. When men such as these could not stand against me, what chance do you have? A toad crouching beside a forest puddle. You will serve me, or you will dance on ice and ice strings until you die. And then you will be mine. The dead belong to me. Alrighty, guys, I hope you enjoyed that clip there. That was actually a lot of fun to do. Um, the, usually I use an audiobook clip, but the portion was a bit larger than I really felt comfortable putting in the podcast. So since it was Baal Zaman's speech, I decided I'd do it myself. Um, but if I told you how many times I recorded that, it would be embarrassing and you'd probably laugh at me. So you might notice there actually is a, a a mistake in there. It's the doom yet to come, not his doom yet to come. They're talking about the Shan Chan. Uh, but yeah, again, if I told you how many times I recorded that, you would laugh at me. Yeah, and I didn't want to do it again. Uh, laziness. That's a great quality, right? <laughs> Anyways, this chapter is so good. Like, it really might just be my favorite chapter so far. But it could be that I have a short attention span, and I can't remember the exact feeling I got from every chapter before since it's been a while. And it never takes me this long to read a single damn book. I <laughs> Going through it like this is pretty interesting, and it allows me to look at the books, uh, the series, in a completely different way. And I like it. I really do like it a lot. So the chapter begins with... Uh, everybody entering the inn, and it's super crowded, super busy. Uh, you know, according to Master Fitch, they're inundated. Yes, that's the word. Inundated with melt with uh, miners and smelters up from the mountains. Uh, and not just the inn, but, like, the whole town. Like, every inn in Verilon is, like, packed to the rafters. So it's kind of surprised that they were able to get rooms at all, to be honest. But, you know, it's Mistress Alice and Master Andra, so they can do whatever they want. Uh, yeah, so very busy. Um, what, what I found cool with this is it really doesn't mean much in the first time read, but in a reread, you kind of think about um, the reason Andor doesn't have a big kind of push in the two rivers, uh, not push, an effect in the two rivers, and I don't, I don't know the right wording here, um, is because they had to make the decision on whether they wanted to spread themselves thin guarding the mines and taking care of that, or getting the two rivers to Bach, and they decided, well, I want gold and silver more than I want to Bach, which is foolish, but whatever, I mean, yeah, no, it's not foolish, it actually makes sense from a government standpoint, in, in kingdom standpoint, uh, ruling standpoint? Ruling standpoint. Let's go with that. They have people to feed. They got pensioners to take care of. Whatever. Whatever. I'm going way off topic. But I just, I found it kind of cool. Because 
I never really thought about my, the miners and smelters coming down. And, and yeah, yeah. They're totally a Bane thing in Andor, and they're never really talked about much after this. And Fitch runs a really good place. The Stag and Lion actually sounds like a really wonderful inn. And as much as he might complain about the surplus of customers, I bet that old boy is making a mint. You know what I mean? He's selling booze, he's selling food, he's selling rooms, and he's got a four-story inn. This guy is doing good. And his staff are good, too. You got the male and female servers running around doing their jobs, slipping through people in the huge crowds and barely stopping just to kind of make a, oops, sorry, excuse me. Uh, and they're just doing great, hardly missing a step. But what I think is interesting about that is they distinctly say male servers and female servers. And when I think about it, I don't really remember that many male servers in the series. Is this the only inn that we really visit that has male servers? Maybe I'm wrong, but usually I remember serving girls, especially with Matt being the, the, the POV, you know what I mean? You know, given a silver penny because she has pretty eyes. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't really mean much, but I, I just found it interesting. You know, you're supposed to nitpick things in these podcasts. <laughs> Hopefully I can get a little bit more interesting than than than, than miners and, and male servers, huh? <laughs> uh, Master Fitch, uh, much like the gatekeeper Aubin, wasn't it? Uh, was kind of confused by Lady Alice's traveling companions, you know. However, unlike the gatekeeper, Master Fitch is a good host, and he asks no questions, kind of beyond a, look, a little bit of a confused look at the rest of them. And of course, he's probably happy to see Tom, because it's always good to have a gleeman around, especially when you've got a packed house that keeps the trouble down, you know. Um... Rand was taken a little back by the hustle and bustle of this giant inn. If you remember the last chapter, he was kind of shocked at how huge it was, like that how the Winespring Inn itself could have fitten in the stable yard area, which was, you know, crazy when you think about it, and how Master Alvier takes care of it all with just a little help from his daughters. His daughters. Again! People complain about how Perrin's family had so little screen time, but... Do we even know the name of any of Egwene's so-called sisters? Seriously, if any of you can come up with one of Egwene's sisters' names, I will be ridiculously impressed. I really will. Because I've never, I can't, I can't name it. I can't name it. To be honest, when we go back in the Shadow Rising, they're spending most of their time in the Winespring Inn, and I don't really remember any of her daughters being around. It's weird. Because I'm pretty sure they would have been around Aram too, with his all, you know, surly pretty boy looks. Just like the, the uh, Cawthon girls, right? But no, it was just the Cawthon girls. Wh wh where are the Alvere girls? Did they just, are they just gone? Were they part of the group that were carried off to Tarvalin by uh, Varen and Volana because that wasn't explained because I'm pretty sure Egwene would mention her sisters having to call her mother, okay? They just disappear. It's it's, it's just as cloak and dagger as, as Donna's mystery sister Tina that shows up in a single episode of that 70s show. They're just, it's just nothing. There's nothing there and it makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. I'm rambling now. I don't even know if I made any sense there. <laughs> 
so the two river folk were kind of drawn a bit to the joyous laughter in the common room. Uh, <laughs> but Rand's like, I don't really know if I should go in there until I clean myself up. People might appreciate me being around, you know, after I get this weakest stink off me, you know. <laughs> uh, and they even mentioned that Matt's been kind of surreptitiously, uh, surreptitiously scratching himself. Which I found amusing. But Lan is the only one that heads into the common room. Grimly, I might add, to gather information. I love how everybody kind of wants to go, but the only one who does is kind of like, well, I might as well go get this over with. It's, it's, it's just fun. I like it. <laughs> uh, Moraine asks the innkeeper of the White Cloaks if they're going to be any trouble, and Master Fitch tries to reassure her. And this is another... Great point for Master Fitch in my category. He's starting to become one of my favorite innkeepers in the series. Like, and and I don't think we ever see him again. He's mentioned by men and like Tarvalin, I think. But other than that, I, we never see this guy again. And yeah, Fitch doesn't like the White Cloaks. That's great. He's like, he thinks if they get into town in, a, in, in any real numbers... They'll be causing a lot of trouble, and that they're already claiming there's an Aes Sedai in Berylon, which kind of, like, raises an eyebrow from Moraine, you know? It's like, yeah, there is an Aes Sedai in Berylon, but nobody's supposed to know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, he's like, he thinks the governor will, the, they think the governor will let them in if they can show proof. And Master Fitch is like, well, no one really wants to see some hardenless old woman hurt. <laughs> I love it. I do. Um, the next important thing is Moraine asks after Min. That's so awesome. I love it. I really do. Min has been mentioned. She's not really in this chapter much, but she was mentioned. And I love Min. I really do. Sometimes I struggle with who I like better of Rand's um, love interest. Min or Avienda. Avienda does, like, upset a lot of people or irritate a lot of people as far as I understand it. But, you know, I like Nynaeve, so Avienda doesn't bother me that much. Uh, Min is all around great. It's almost like Min is too perfect sometimes. It really is. She is way too accepting of things. She's way too awesome. Min, Min can do anything. Absolutely anything. <laughs> I love, I, I really do. Min's great. Uh, yeah, so Moraine asks after Min, but Rand lost Master Fitch's reply when the bath attendants arrive. So Moraine and Gwaine follow a plump, smiling woman, and the men, minus Lan, of course, follow a slim man named Ara. So the first thing I have to say about Ara is he claims the Emin Fielders have a funny accent? What kind of accent are Two Rivers people supposed to have? I've always kind of wondered this, because we can very clearly hear a Tyrant accent as we listen to the audiobooks or even read the novels. We can very clearly pick out a uh, Tara Bonner accent or a Ilioner accent especially, most specifically with Bail Doman. Everybody loves Bail Doman's accent. But, like, what, what's up with the Two Rivers accent? I don't even think they properly have one. Maybe he thinks they have one, because according to Rand... Uh, <laughs> Ara and Master Fitch both sound like they have mouths full of mush, which brings up a couple questions. First of all, isn't that what the Shan Chan are supposed to sound like? And second of all, uh, gosh, I hope Min doesn't sound like she has a mouth full of mush. That would kind of 
that might actually be a point against her. Maybe she's not perfect. She's just 99% perfect. Who knows? Uh, so they get to the washroom and all thought of questions to Ara about Berlon leave Rand's head. He wanted to chat, but he's like, oh my God. And, and uh, he leaves mine too. I, I kind of like, I, this, this, this bathroom sounds awesome. The description of the bathroom, it just, this, the d description of the baths in general just sound so satisfying. I've been waking up like all week with these horrible pains in my back. I, I don't know if I'm sleeping wrong or what. It's not my bed because I got a new one recently. So it, it it's just, I mean, I've been waking up in cramps and pains in a hot bath. Oh, that would probably like get all those aches and pains and just pull them right out. But no, we only have a bathroom that's equipped with a shower. Yay. <laughs> oh my god. Well, that was a little personal. Let's just all forget I said that. <laughs> and uh, so what I'd like to point out here is that Robert Jordan seems to cherry pick different things about different cultures that he likes and kind of throws them here into the Wheel of Time series, which I like. And he seems to uh, uh, get a lot of pulling from uh, Japanese and Asian culture because that's what these baths seem, seem to me. They Like, they would be completely at home in an anime. Uh, I was watching Film Z, a One Piece movie a while back, and there's a whole scene where they go to a public bath and hang out and end up having a conversation with another important character. And they never would have met him if they didn't go to the bath. It's, it's, it's just a normal thing there. And it makes me wonder how odd it seemed to Americans when this book came out. Were they like, what, what, what are they doing all bathing in the same room? Like, personally, I would, I would find it very uncomfortable. But, you know, that's kind of, I grew up here. I, that, that just, it, it, the communal bath just sounds weird. I don't know any man who's been completely at home uh, un undressing in a damn locker room. So, I mean, to us, it's weird. But again, very anime, very, very Asian culture. And I do like it. Um, and upon entering the washroom, Rand saw a dozen, this is, this is the description. I don't know why it's down here in my notes and not up there. Uh, Rand saw a dozen large copper bathtubs, each with a stool nearly, nearby holding a large fluffy towel and a large cake of soap and a bunch of large cauldrons of water sat heating against fires against the wall. Again, sounds amazing. Amazing. Plus, this sounds like an incredibly big bathroom, doesn't it? Twelve copper bathtubs? And this is just the men's washroom. It's crazy. Uh, and again, much like in a Japanese bath, the men like had buckets of water and scrubbers and they cleaned themselves before getting in for the soak. Um, Tom tried to send the serving man away, promising pay for his services later. But Ara's staring at the boy's weapons and asking if there was any trouble down country. And he's like, oh, guess not. There's nothing but sheep down country, right? <laughs> Just a little bit, little bit rude, don't you think? Two Rivers is like the greatest place on earth, you jerk, okay? Don't talk about the Two Rivers, Ara. You couldn't even pronounce it. Matt had to tell you. He's like, is there a problem down in the rivers? And Matt was like, it's the Two Rivers. It was weird how they kind of did it in the book. Like, Matt was being a little obnoxious and pronouncing each word separately. That's kind of how they said it. There's two words. What do you mean each word separately? It's just two words. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Ara seems nervous. 
uh, perhaps scared of possibly saying something that might get him in trouble. And we learn later from Lan that it was actually that he might have been nervous about talking to the White Cloaks, to strangers, since he's unsure what their reactions to be. Can you imagine just going, oh, I hate the White Cloaks. And then this person runs to the White Cloaks and they're like, hey, 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 he said he doesn't like you. Next thing you know, White Cloaks are banging down your door and hanging you up in the street because they're jerks. Oh, what? not only that, Ara's kind of unsure why he's chatting with them so much in the first place about trouble, about bad stuff. And let's all say it together now because we know, even though Ara doesn't, Taviran. Uh, I love how they can just make people spout exposition just by sitting in the room. It's great. I love it. Taviran is the greatest thing ever, okay? I'm an aspiring art, uh, writer. I've never actually accomplished anything there, but I've always wanted to. <laughs> and the idea of a plot armor that just allows everything to go well for your characters. <laughs> like... <laughs> How often are you reading a story or watching a movie or a TV show and you're like, really, what are the odds that that would happen? But in the Wheel of Time, it's like, well, they're Taviran, so of course it's going to happen. <laughs> I love it. I really do. I really wish I could do something like that in my own writing. But, you know, at this point, it would kind of be, you know, copying or, or stealing or whatever. I mean, we see that a lot. Have you, have you guys ever watched Aragon? Remember when you meet the, uh, it's not a fade, what does he call it, a shade? And you got that Durza guy? Tell me that does not sound like a Murdral. But then again, tell me a Murdral doesn't sound a little bit like a Ringwraith. So you can never be entirely clear of all that. It's just, it's just not possible. Um, anyways, I love how Perrin's not really listening to everybody talking around him as he's soaking contentedly. You know, he's hearing them go, what? There's trouble. Oh, this and that, this and that. And Perrin's just sitting there going, oh, good, good. <laughs> it's great. Perrin knows how to relax, okay? The others need to take a tip. Um, you know, Tom kind of did it too. He, he's kind of leaning back in the tub, sounding like he wants to relax. But when he hears Ara talking, he kind of perks up because Tom is always listening from that information man he's the greatest scout or spy you'll ever know uh so ara mentions there were trollocs in saldea uh i love another mention of saldea here especially whenever saldea is connected to perrin i don't know saldea sounds great uh i don't know if saldea is supposed to be represented by russia or something but so far with most saldean people i've met in the in the in the books um, I actually rather like, you know, I, I love Fael. I, I, I honestly, I listen to a couple Wheel of Time podcasts, and whenever I he hear her called Fail, I kind of, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I love Fael. She's great, but apparently I love the less liked characters. I love Nynaeve. I love Avienda. I love Fael. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> oh, where am I in my notes? Yeah, so, yeah, Matt's, uh, Matt hears... Ara talk about Trollocs and unfortunately speaks up and is starting to act like a doofus. I mean, come on, dude. I want to root for you here. But seriously, do we really have to go with you not being a good character until the Dragon Reborn? Because I don't want to wait that long to love you, dude. You're an amazing character. I, just, 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 just do it. I don't, oh. Oh, I don't want to admit he's not great until the Dragon are born. I don't want to admit it. We'll see if I have to admit it later. But I don't want to. <laughs> uh, 
Ah, oh, man. Matt's like, oh, Trollocs, you say? Well, let me tell you about Trollocs. And Randon Perrin interrupt him, and it... <laughs> and it's great. They're like, how about you don't, okay? We get really tired of you here telling Tom's stories, okay? No, or was that Tom? Was that Tom? Like, I'm really tired of you telling my own stories back to me. That's what it was. And then Rand's like, you never tell it right. You always try to add things to make it better, and it never does. <laughs> it's just... Oh, they're totally just jumping down his throat, and it's great. It's it's very funny. It's all said too fast and a bit panicked-like, and it's like Ara has to know something suspicious is going on here. But whatever. Rand is wondering if there's any way at all to shut Matt up short of jumping on him, which would have been a rather uncomfortable scene since they're all naked. I, I don't know. Uh, Lan enters the room, though, and that puts a stop to everything. Ara tries to get him a bucket and take care of him like it's his job, uh, but Lan bustles him out of the room and listens at the door for a moment before rounding on Matt, and he's berating him for not listening about attempting to talk about what he shouldn't be mentioning. Don't talk about Trollocs. Don't even think about Trollocs. Do you hear me? If the White Clouds heard that they'd been about the Trollocs chasing the Two Rivers folk, they'd be dying to get their hands on them. And that's not what we want. We have to deal with that later with Perrin, and I just don't, I just don't want to. You know what's weird? And I, and I didn't think about it until this second. Okay? So, the White Cloaks are all crazy about Perrin, and that's mostly because Bayer is a just insane man and is absolutely obsessed with this one potential dark friend. Parents not a dark friend, but those are, I, I, I kind of get it from a zealous standpoint, okay? It's unnatural, and they don't like anything that's unnatural, okay? But why not Egwene? Like, do you not think Byer may have heard, or some White Cloaks may have heard that, wait, this Egwene Alvere is the Omerlin seat? Eventually, right? Do, don't you think Byer's like, wait a second, I used to try to kick the Omerlin seat in the stomach. It, I'm getting ahead of myself because that stuff is going to be in this book and I just need a, I just need a, like this introduction was long and then my clip was long and now I'm rambling and it's, it's fine. We're all having fun here, right? Right? Oh, okay. Okay. I'm going to get, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't mention anything because we don't want the white cloaks to find out. Just another point of how shitty the white cloaks are. Shitty. I hate the white uh, Perrin brings up what Ara said about Trollocs and Saldea. Perrin bringing up Saldea. Oh, yeah. He already has an interest. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, and this brings the warder's temper back to the forefront. There's always Trollocs in the Borderlands, Blacksmith. You know, he's scolding them harshly, telling them they want to draw as a little attention as they can manage. Can't you boys just behave for a little while? Just a little while without me standing over you? <laughs> I love it. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah. They, uh, Land says, while Moraine wants to lead them all to Tarvalin alive and safely, and Land will do it if he can, but he's very transparent on the fact that if it comes between Moraine and the Emmons Fielders, he'll pick Moraine. 
<laughs> and the boys kind of believe him because the rest of the sa- uh, the bath is done in silence. Very funny. I love it. I really do. So as the boys are leaving the bathroom, Rand sees Moraine talking to a pretty girl. Uh, at least he thinks it was a girl because her hair was short and she wore men's trousers and a shirt. What's going on here? Uh, Moraine kind of points to the boys. Min gives them a sharp look, nods, and just takes off, okay? So, Moraine, turning back to them, told the Master Fitch he provided a private dining room. That sounds cool. Like, if this place is full, how do they get a private dining room? I, I mean, there can't be more than one or two, right? I, I don't get it. I don't... I don't get it. Like, they get a lot of good treatment. I'm just saying, a lot of good treatment. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, private dining room, uh, and they've got rooms now, three of them, yeah. And, uh, Rand noticed she didn't say anything about the girl. If a girl it had been, come on, Rand, what's up going on here? Is he concerned, right? Like, I I added in the pretty girl part. It really just said a girl, at least Rand thought it was a girl, right? But, I mean, the way he keeps going on about how weird it is, it makes me wonder if Rand did find her attractive. That I'm not the only one that added pretty, right? And that Rand's just wondering if he's finding, uh, he's not sure the gender of who he's finding attractive. I don't know, it's just weird at all. It, it, it Pillow Friends is not a unusual concept in the Wheel of Time. Well, now that I think about it, I haven't really heard of male pillow friends, but they have to exist if female pillow friends do. Maybe they're just not called pillow friends. I don't know. Um, yeah. So they head into the private dining room, and Rand sees Egwene warming herself by the fire, hands outstretched. And after his conversation with Lan about trusting no one, really, you know, he felt more alone than ever. He thinks about how her channeling is just not her fault. And how Maureen said it would happen regardless. And Egwene was still Egwene. So he opens his mouth to apologize. And well, Egwene is still Egwene. Because she turns her back on him stubbornly. And then Rand stays stubborn as well. Like, well, fine. We'll leave it at that. Because you're both stones and neither of you are going to move. I mean, these two could would play a game of chicken. And they'd run into each other. Oh, you know what? I know it made me think of the game of chicken and running into each other. I was watching Scrubs the other day. And JD and Elliot did that. Uh, but I could see it actually happening. You know, can you imagine both of them staring at each other, walking down a hallway? They're not going to veer. They're just going to smash right into each other. That's what's going to happen. Two Rivers people are stubborn in both the best and worst ways. They really are. <laughs> Fitch comes in with a couple of servers and places food on the table, all the while lamenting that it's not as good as he would have put it, been able to provide a year ago. Not good at all, but with the harsh winter and all, you know, again, I like Master Fitch. He's not blaming the farmers for holding on to a bit of the crops for themselves. Instead, he, he just blames the wolves for stealing the mutton and beef that should be going on people's tables. And this makes me think... Are these really wolves doing all this? Because if it is, and we're going to get the Wolf Brothers scene, you know, not too much long, longer away. Well, that sounded eloquent, didn't it? Uh, not too far away, we're going to get the Wolf Brother chapters, right? So, if this is all the wolves doing the bad stuff, isn't this going to kind of justify Perrin and freaking out? I, I mean, I still think it has to be Trollocs. 
You know, maybe the merger all are just saying no people if, unless they're all alone and by themselves in a rural area. Only take livestock and keep going and keeping out of sight. That's what I think it is. I think it's Trollocs and Murdral. Maybe it's just because I don't want to believe it's wolves. I don't know. Bitch leaves uh, with the serving ladies and Lan checks the door, uh, checking if the innkeeper had truly gone. Uh, and confirming this, he says they can talk safely now. And Egwene's like, why stay at the inn if you don't entrust the innkeeper? And I love Lan's answer. I really do. It's good. Until we reach Tarvalin, I'll suspect everyone. There, I'll suspect only half. <laughs> Moraine says he's exaggerating, but from what we've come to know, how the story goes on, I'd say the warders got the right of it. I mean, how many dark friends are in Tarvalin? Really? Good God. <laughs> I love it. Everyone eats, and even though Master Fitch said it wasn't much of a feast, to the Emmons fielders who had survived on flatbread and dried meat and cheese for like a week, it probably felt like a feast, you know? So during the meal, Land shares what he learned in the common room. Um, he brings out Loghain's name. Finally, we finally get a name to the current false dragon. Uh, I actually like Logan. I've never disliked Logan. He was always more interest to me, interesting to me than Tame was. Uh, and and I, I was always happy that by the end of it, Logan was the kind of guy you wanted to put your trust in. Because Tame was just shit. He was just shit. I, I, I never even believed Tame was, a, was a, truly a Forsaken. I know a lot of people did. But I just thought he was too much of a douchebag to be a forsaken. I just, he was too self-important for his own good. He was a dark friend and nothing more. Goodness, he never even should have. Oh, I don't, I don't like how, I don't like what it took to take him out. I'm still mad about it, still bitter about it. But we'll, we'll get there when we get to the last book. Ten years from now, or however long that takes. Oh, man. Oh, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, Loghain's name finally mentioned. Went on another tangent. Isn't that fun? <laughs> uh, confirmed. It confirmed Loghain was victorious over the Aes Sedai because we heard about that battle with the Aes Sedai. So Lan himself confirmed it, that it's not just rumor. He won. Though he can't find out more details than that without drawing some seriously unwanted attention. And with White Cloaks in town, I think Lan has the right of it. And that there, there and that... Well, again, messing up. Uh, their, all, their journey also won't be in, impeded from what he heard because he can't find any rumors about Trollocs or Halfmen around the area and the White Cloaks are too busy trying to make trouble for the governor to bother them unless they screw up and make themselves noticed. Oh, let me see. I'm trying to think. Has it been about a week since the Rand and Bella thing? Hmm. I wonder what's going to happen. Next chapter. Yeah. Oh, Rand's going to get in trouble. <laughs> uh, Moraine decides they're going to stay in Berlon for uh, the next two days and then leave the following morning. And she's kind of smiling at the Two Rivers focus excitement. She's being kind of motherly here. I like it. Or auntly. Oh, oh, no. Let's go with motherly. I don't know. She's, she, she's kind of finding them endearing, at least, at least in my opinion. Uh, Land's Land, Land kind of just, yeah, it's fine, as long as they behave themselves. 
You know, when he says that it's fine as long as they don't cause trouble, I really think Lan might be looking at Matt. Don't you guys? I really do. <laughs> okay. So, with that, the dinner's done, and we follow Rand up to their rooms. We don't really see anyone else but Lan and Tom uh, of the group for the rest of the chapter. Uh, so they go up, and uh, the group have three rooms. One for the girls to stay in, uh, Moraine and Gwen. One for Matt and Perrin. And the last has Rand, Lan, and Tom. So I wonder how Rand got the short end of the stick. How did the three... I mean, Rand and Tom, uh, and Lan are big guys, okay? I mean, I, I don't think Perrin's much bigger than Lan is. Oh, maybe a little bit, you know girthier in the shoulders and I don't I don't know it's just it's weird to have that many large men in one small room <laughs> Tom's wiry and small but you know Landon Landon Tom uh Rand can probably take up that room by themselves so yeah Lan leaves I don't know what he's doing probably to get more information Tom leaves because he's gonna be uh performing in the common room i love the description of as he leaves he's already like swinging his cloak around and practicing poses <laughs> could you just imagine that old tom going down the hallway and just making extravagant gestures you know as he's getting ready <laughs> i like it i really do uh but rand's tired you know, they've been traveling, and then he got in, and then they had this wonderful, relaxing bath, then they had this delicious meal, and he's good. He is good. And that's when he falls asleep, and this brings us to the first major dream. Hell yeah. I love this part. This is what made the chapter my favorite so far. The earlier stuff was all fun. But this is mystical and fantastic. And Ishamael, he deserves his nameless title. Okay? Because even crazy as balls, Ishamael is awesome and incredibly intimidating. I love this dude. He is great. So, I anyways, wait. Did you guys hear that? Oh, come on. Really? Still? These guys won't leave me alone. Anyways, back back to the dream. <laughs> so, now I do know Rand's already had one of those surreal dreams already while sleeping by his father's side in the Winespring Inn, you know, after the whole Trolloc thing. But I think this was that was either a legitimate nightmare or Rand just got into the dream all by himself somehow. Uh, I think we'd know... If Rand or Luce Theron had been male dreamers, I mean, they were exceptionally rare even in the Age of Legends, as far as I remember or understand. Uh, but I, we would know, right? Um, this is the first. Ho this, however, is the first time Rand and the rest of the boys, which we'll find out next chapter, were accosted by Ishamael in their sleep. Well, you know what? I didn't think about it when I wrote that note, but it does sound kind of kinky, doesn't it? Accosted by Ishamael in their sleep. Hmm. Uh, Rand finds himself in this dark, dank stone passageway with two doors at the end of a long stone hallway. And he's incredibly thirsty for some reason. He doesn't know why. He's uncomfortable. He's hot. He's, ah, this sucks. 
And he decides to head on because he keeps hearing the steady plunk, plunk, plunk of like dripping water, even though we never see the dripping water. But whatever, it's 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 something to lead him forward, probably done by Ishamael himself, or we should call him Baal Zaman right now. However, after entering one of the doors, he finds himself in this odd stone chamber with a balcony looking out into an impossible sky. There's black and gray and orange and red clouds streaking by. I, I, I don't know, maybe this is some sort of created space in Teleron Riyadh located somewhere around Sheol Ghul. Maybe these clouds are just what it always looks like there. Maybe this is what, he's do what the Dark One's kind of doing to make the weather all shitty. I don't know, but it's kind of interesting and it definitely freaks Rand out. The room has this crackling fireplace that seems to give off no heat, and the stones of the fireplace seems to change from just normal, round, kind of just ordinary, boring stones to screaming faces out of the corner of his eye. <laughs> Isn't that pleasant? Wow. <laughs> um, I wonder if those are just, um, I wonder if those are dark friends that have disobeyed or failed Baalzaman, and he's kind of punishing them in their sleep. I don't know. That's kind of funny to me. Uh, as well as a quite ordinary table and chair in the room and an ornate mirror, which doesn't show Rand's proper reflection. It was all foggy when he looks into it, and it's all creepy and surreal, and I love it. I really do. I love the dream world in these books. It's one of my favorite facets of the series. Uh, I've always kind of wanted to write my own series called Dreamwalkers, to be completely honest. Uh, <laughs> suddenly a man is standing before the fireplace and he was well dressed and Rand supposed women would find him good looking that's a comment the guys make in the series a lot oh well I suppose ladies might like him it's, <laughs> it's weird Rand's like I'm sure he wasn't there a moment before but that doesn't make sense I just might be crazy or something don't don't wish that Rand <laughs> it's gonna give you problems later <laughs> Um, once more, uh, we meet face to face. Okay, that's a quote, but I didn't put it in explanation points. Balzman looks at him, and he's like, once more, we meet face to face. And Balzman finally speaks, and he freaks Rand the hell out, because Rand looks at him, and he sees these red eyes. He sees the eyes and mouth turn into pits of fire for a moment. And panicking... Rightly, Rand just turns around and flees through the door into the other room across the hall because there's really nowhere else to go, so maybe he's hoping that's like the way out. And he he throws the door open, holding onto the handle to keep himself from falling over. He's such a haste. And it's the same room, the same impossible sky, the horrible fireplace, and the man. You can't escape me that easily. <laughs> I love it. These are all dream world tricks. I mean, when you first read the series, this had to be like crazy and terrifying and, and, and I guess very dreamlike. But after what we know of Teleron Riyadh, this is just Balsamon screwing with Rand. And it's very effective and uh, very creepy. I love it. I really do. Uh, this was a dream, he hoped. Just a nightmare. The door behind him clicked shut, and the man spoke. 
Is it a dream? Does it matter? And Rand tries the door again, you know, shaking it behind him, but the door is locked. And then the man offers Rand a drink. He's like, you must be thirsty. And Rand looks down at the table. And there's this jewel-encrusted goblet sitting there now. And he's sure it wasn't there a second ago. But, I mean, he is thirsty. You know, so he kind of picks it up. And the spiced wine smell in it makes him even want to drink it more. And, you know, he's just so damn thirsty. He feels like he hadn't drinking anything in days. He's sorely tempted to drink. He needs to drink. But then he looks at Baalzamad. And his eyes are flickering from fire to normal. From fire to normal. And Baalzamad got his hand on the back of the ordinary chair. And smoke is coming up through his fingers. As the, as the, the wood underneath his fingers burns black. And Rand's just like, ah, maybe not. I don't think I'm as thirsty as I thought I was. And he puts the cup down. And uh, Baalzaman is, is disappointed. He's very disappointed. It's weird how they say it here. It's like his face showed no expression, but he clearly couldn't have been more disappointed. Um, he practically cursed. It was... It was... It was... It was odd. I can't... I can't explain it right. So I am moving on. So Rand, not knowing else what to do, asks who this guy is, and he gets an answer he never wanted. He's like, I am Baalzaman, and Rand is terrified, okay? He's thinking he's facing the Dark One himself, and Rand loses all sense of dignity and everything, and he just turns around, and he just starts yanking at the door as hard as he can, but the door's unmoving. He's just like, oh, good. I love uh, Baalzman's quote here as he's trying to suss out if Rand is the Dragon Reborn. He's like, are you the one? You cannot hide it from me forever. You cannot even hide yourself from me. Not on the highest mountain or the deepest cave. I know you down to the smallest hair. Again, it, it, it makes me sound like uh, like Ashamael had a crush on Luz Theron. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. The smallest hair? Well, I know where the smallest hairs on a man's body are. Well, maybe maybe leg and arm hairs, but nope, nope. Mm -hmm. We know where the term got you by the short hairs come from, and it's not legs and arms. I just, it's a bit of an odd thing to me, but it's very, it's very fun too. I don't know. I, I like the expression, but I have a twisted mind. So. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie here, but Altamont is legit legitimately terrifying here towards the end of this chapter. He's amazing, he's so much cool. Okay, okay, got nothing this time, good, good. He's not listening, I don't know what's happening, they just keep interrupting me, it's, I don't like it. Uh, Rand faces him, cause there's nothing else he can do. Uh, but stand up straight and face it head on. That's the Two Rivers way, right? Tyshar Minethrin, let's do this. Well, he's got the upbringing of Minethrin, but you know, how about, how about till shade is gone, till water is gone, let's go with that. Um, well, Andors are, and Andoran are pretty tough people, and he is half Andoran. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go with all that. Uh, Balzaman assumes for some reason that the Aes Sedai would have told him everything. He's like, are you expecting glory? Power? Did they tell you the eye of the world will serve you? I, I like that they dropped the eye of the world. We got the title drop right here. I love it. And uh, when you're reading it the first time, you don't know what the eye of the world is. 
And then when you have read it, you're like, why would the eye of the world serve anybody? It's not a sentient being. <laughs> it's, it's a well of power. Oh, I mean, I guess a well of power could serve your uses. Rand puts it to use. All right, I guess I just answered my own question. Um, he calls Rand a puppet. Centuries in the making. And he's kind of a bit of a jerk here. He's like... Your father was just a stallion, roped and led to your led to his business. Your mother was a broodmare, <laughs> and, and and all of this planning is leading to your death. And this pisses off Rand. Don't talk about Rand's parents. It's a sore subject. Okay, he knows who his father is. It's his father. Don't do that. They're good people. Don't don't. Uh, and Balsman's just like the Amralin will use you till there's nothing left. Just as Davian was used, and Urien Stonebow, and Gwer Amalison, and Rowland Dartsbane, just as Loghain is being used now, used until there is nothing left. Uh, again, Balsman's intimidating and awesome, and by the way, I actually spent a good bit of time in my Wheel of Time companion, because for the first time, I decided to look up these names a little bit, you know? Um... So, first of all, Rowland Darksbane is the oldest one, right? From uh, 332 to, like, 339 AB, uh, after breaking. That's what that calendar means. Uh, and then Urien Stonebow is the second consecutively, then Davian, then Gweral Amalison, right? These are all, there are two of them from after the breaking and two of them from the free years, uh, if you guys don't know what the free year calendar is, it's it's what they called it right after the end of the Trolloc Wars because they were free from the Trollocs. Um, so I looked them all up and nothing of it was super interesting except Urien Stonebow at the end and the wise. And Urien Stonebow was fascinating because he was in power for like six years. And while there's conflicting stories about him being gentled and captured and dying a year later, it also said he died... In the Trolloc Wars, fighting Trollocs that were fighting under Baalzaman's banner. So Baalzaman himself had Urien Stonebow killed. How cool is that? I like to imagine that Urien Stonebow was gentled, but still fought the good fight. Because I need another false dragon other than Loghain that's a good guy. I need it. I need it so bad. Um... I don't know. I, I'm wondering why he used them in these orders, because they're in a different timeline. But, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, Robert Jordan hadn't kind of put that together yet. Anyways, it is just poor Rand. He's all confused in the dream. His head's all foggy. You know, the only time he could truly think clearly for even a moment was when uh, Bosman pissed him off by insulting his parents. And he's trying to regain some courage by reciting that whole, You are bound, you and all the Forsaken, bound by the Creator until the end of time. But that only has Baalzman mocking him. And he's making, mixing lies and truth just so, so very well. And, uh, you know, this goes to where I did my quote. You know, the fool, I have never been bound, which was a lot of fun. And not completely untrue, because Baalzaman has been bound. What happens, at least the understanding of it, is that it took a little bit of a while for him to get sucked into the seal. 
So he's released like every thousand years for like 40 years. And every time he does so, he like destables the entire human race. It's crazy. And it's amazing how well he can manipulate and do all this while obviously being crazy as balls. I love Ishamayel. He's so cool. Um, you know, because he, he, he's just mixing this stuff so so well, you know, I stood by Luce there in Kinslayer's side, why he did the deed that named him, I told him to do all this, no, but you did show up right after and mock him, but who knows, he could be kind of just crazy and remember it differently, <laughs> like, with that, but then you go on to what he says after that, right, Thousand years later, I sent the Trolloc Wars, Trollocs ravening south, and for three centuries, they ra savaged the world. But you weren't out for three centuries, but you got it going. Um, the second covenant, the covenant of the ten nations, was shattered beyond remaking. And then he goes to the third set, uh, thousand years, where he said he whispered in Arter Hawkwing's ear, and the lex less length and breadth of the land I said I died. And that is not... Uh, that, that's true. He, he showed up as Jalwin Morad, and he became Hawkwing's highest counselor. And, uh, by free year 974, it says on Wikipedia. Um, and he was kind of a Morden in that situation. You know what I mean? Not a Morden. Uh, that, that, that's more than death. No, he was kind of like, um, who the hell did Padon Fane mix with? Mordeth. He was kind of a Mordeth in that situation. Um, and then he went on to talk about the sealing of the two dooms by sending his armies across the Arth Ocean. Now, this was actually, I messed up in my quote in the beginning of the book. Uh, I said, uh, his doom, uh, his doom yet to come, and it's the doom yet to come, uh, and a doom yet to come. Apparently I'm wrong again. God damn it. <laughs> which is obviously the Shanchan, which I like a lot. This is crazy. This is crazy. Ishamiel is a crazy bastard that's been weaving webs for a thousand years, and the I said I think they're good. <laughs> he started the whole Shanchan bit, dude. What do you got, I said I? Like, come on. I love it. I love it. Uh, so, Rand, yeah, Rand fights against him. He, this is a dream. I'm not gonna serve you. Uh, even with him doing, you know, you'll da dance on Aes Sedai strings until you die, and then you so will serve me, because the dead belong to me! I'm sorry I keep repeating it, but it's so good, guys. It's just so good. Um, and we kind of know that's kind of true. I mean, not him, but the Dark One can kind of get a hold of a lot of dead people for his use. Yeah. Um... And Rand, yeah, Rand tries to stand up to him, so Baalzaban replaces the goblet on the table with a rat and decides to freak the hell out of Rand <laughs> by crooking his finger and breaking the rat's back. That's just... <laughs> it is a terrifying visual aid, not gonna lie, but it's also kind of ridiculous. <laughs> uh, he's good. He's good, because he assures Rand's not gonna really talk about it to Moraine, which... Again, like the biggest complication in all of the Wheel of Time is lack of communication. Shamael's doing his job. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, go ahead. Go tell the Amarlin Siege. Go tell the Aes Sedai we spoke in the dream. Go let them know I know who you are. <laughs> 
this is not going to go well for you. <laughs> uh, Rand's just like, this is a dream. This is a dream. <laughs> this is a dream and I'm going to wake up. It's just the poor guy. It's just, he's not having a good time. He had such a great day. He got in. He had this great relaxation, a good meal. And now, now Baal Zaman mocks him again, reaches out his finger and does the whole crooked finger thing again and makes Rand scream and arch his back backwards. I mean, you're kind of worried for a second. Will you ever wake again, says Baalzman? That's terrifying. So luckily, Rand does wake up, um, but he is not feeling well. He's terrified. He's shaking. Um, uh, Lan and Tam, Lan and Tam, Lan and Tom, are asleep in the room. It's kind of gotten late. I love how they comment that Tom snores horribly. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just amuses me. Uh, and he kind of leans back down, and he kind of wonders, what should he do about this? Should he go ask Moraine for help about these dreams? She said she could help with dreams, but he's not sure he could trust her. And he, he says one of the stupidest things I have ever heard in this series, and he's like, would her help be any better than the dreams? <laughs> really? Really? You would rather have these damn dreams than get help from Moraine? You are dumb. You are dumb. I don't like saying that about Rand because he's not actually stupid. But he does just make these oh, very silly decisions. I mean, if they just told Moraine about it, they could just all sleep in her room and her she 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 could block the dreams from them, right? Isn't that how it works? Can't she just make this warding or something? I don't Oh, come on, buddy. You could do better than that. God. <laughs> so he does go back to sleep, but it's a long time coming. He tries to use the void and the flame, but it, again, it's 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 a lot. He's not very happy. It's it's he's terrified. And he's going to learn later that Matt and Perrin had the same dream in the next chapter, which is going to be an interesting conversation. So that's the end of chapter 14, The Stag and Lion. Overall, again, I really think it was the best chapter so far. It had the, all of the fun and interaction in the first half, and then it had all this just amazing dream stuff from Baal Zaman and Rand in this latter half. It was just so good. I, I love it. I love it. I love all the foreshadowing. I love the extra bit. Like, now that I'm rereading these for the podcast, I mean, it gave me a wonderful excuse to look up all these false dragons. And one thing I will say that I didn't mention earlier is every false dragon he mentioned, all of them can channel. And that's also pretty cool. Um... I don't know why you would mention them. There had to have been more than just those four, right? I... Hmm. Uh, maybe those were just the most relevant to him? I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe they were all out when he was out. Maybe they were all out during um, one of his release times, so he knows about him personally. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, but it was good. Like, all the way through. We got to see Min for a moment. We got Rand's confusion on that. <laughs> we... We, oh, it's just great. Master Fitch also seems really awesome. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, Basil Gill or uh, uh, and Mistress Anan. 
kind of have a tie as my favorite innkeepers in the series. Uh, Bran Elvira is great, but I kind of think of him as more the mayor of Emmonsfield. You know, he has an inn, but how often does he really use it as an innkeeper? He's the mayor, guys. You know, uh, it was it was good. It was really, really good. I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening to this podcast as much as I did recording it. It's good to be back. Um, getting out of Sheol Ghoul was great. That that place was just, just awful. You know, one of the things I was offered was a better work ethic, which, I mean, I guess would help, but they heavily implied that every time I failed to release a podcast on time, one of my family members would die, and I just, I just wasn't into that. Yeah, it was a bit, it was a, it was a bit awful. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm good to be back. Uh, for, there will be a change in the schedule now. I, I, you might have noticed that we're no longer doing your daily dose of the Wheel of Time, which sucks, because I actually like the catchphrase, but, I mean, at the moment, I, I, I just don't, I just can't. I don't have the time. I can't sit down five days a week and read a chapter, take notes on that chapter, record the podcast, edit, and post. It's just, I, I don't, I don't have the time with everything else going on. And, uh, as much as I want to, I just just can't. Uh, So from now on, uh, we'll be posting Mondays and Fridays, and if I have the extra time, we'll be dropping one out on Wednesday, which is when this podcast is going to be coming out. So, uh, again, hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, wherever you are, morning, afternoon, or evening. Take care. Peace out.